You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. We are finishing up our series, Choose Your Attitude, Choose Your Life. Now, today we're going to be talking about the concept of I'm radical. Now, when you hear the word radical, what do you think about? What comes to mind? What? Extreme. Okay. Other service, somebody said crazy. We have a lot of, and actually, I pretty much, I would imagine everybody in this room kind of has that concept. Uh, when you think of the word radical, that you kind of think of somebody that is just really kind of off the chart and extreme behavior. We even kind of equate it with terrorism, quite frankly, to where, you know, there's these radical extremists or such that uh, are committed to do, getting their beliefs promoted regardless of what it is that they have to do in order to accomplish it. Now... What would I say of Christ if I told you that Christ has called us to be radical? Do you get a picture in your head of that radical person that you've encountered in your life that has all the holy hardware? That they've got the t-shirt, the pants, the shoes, the jewelry, they've got everything, and when you speak to them, it's like having a conversation with an alien. You can't even relate to them. That they're kind of just talking all this Christianese and all this stuff, and it's just so over the top that you're kind of going, oh my goodness, I don't even want to pretend that I'm associated with you. That that type of radical person, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something very different. So let's start first with our scripture that we're going to be pulling from this morning in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That scripture right there is a pretty radical concept in the sense that we are to deny ourselves. Now, well, let's talk about what that means. But first and foremost, let's talk about what the word radical. Let's get a good, solid definition of what that word means today. Radical means to have a very new and it's very different from what is traditional or ordinary. It's something that's very new or very different than what's traditional or ordinary. Radical is not the extreme concept of what you're thinking about. Being radical is not being fanatical. Those are two totally different things. A fanatic is something that looks like this. A fanatic is motivated by fear. That is their main motivation right there is fear. When you see somebody that is a fanatic about something, very often you're going to find that their core, their core motivation is going to be something about fear. Now, let's just talk about it. It's in the room. Let's look at the past uh, few weeks regarding the election. We saw a lot of people that were very committed to what they believed and the candidate of their choice or the bill or the, whatever it is that they were voting for of their choice. And we saw people that were able to articulate and state what it is they believed and to put that forward and to, be in, and, and to have a real sense of secure, a security in what they were saying. Then we saw others that kind of operated from the sense of going, you've got to do it this way, you've got to vote this way. If you don't understand, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. The end of the world is going to come. There's going to be nuclear Armageddon. This whole concept there. And you saw them just, I mean, at one point in time, sometimes you look at them and go, are you going to start foaming at the mouth? Do I need to get a napkin? They're just so out of a panic, out of a fear, and that they become just so extreme in their behavior. They become blind to criticism and blind to contradiction. 
A fanatic will not allow you to point out and bring constructive criticism or to even contradict what it is they believe because if you're motivated out of fear and that your foundation is fear, then you really don't have anything else but to just react out of fear. So a fanatic is somebody that's motivated by fear. They're blind to contradiction. They also seek to change externally. I will do whatever is necessary to make their change. I don't care if it's like a core foundation change. I don't care if it actually kind of revolutionizes what it is that I'm addressing or going after. I just want to see that this changes, and I don't care what goes on behind the scenes. They seek to change externally, and they seek control. A fanatic will do whatever is necessary. They will instill fear. They will instill insecurity. They will play off of people's insecurities. They will do whatever is necessary in order to gain control over the situation or over the person. That's how a fanatic acts. And quite frankly, we've even seen people that have reacted that way in the sense of walking out their faith. That, oh, I'm a fanatic for Jesus. Please don't. I don't want you to motivate somebody into a relationship to Jesus out of fear or out of manipulation or playing off their insecurities or whatever it is just so that you can feel better about yourself and get a quota because you're motivated out of a works-based righteousness and that I have to do all of these things in order for Jesus to love me or to approve of me. Because that's what a religious fanatic will be motivated out of. That's where they will come out of. But someone's radical is motivated, motivated by something that's completely different. A radical is motivated by faith. They have faith in what it is or who it is that they believe in. A radical is motivated by faith. They are selfless. They're willing to sacrifice themselves in order for what it is that they have a, a esteem of higher value or the person they esteem of higher value. They're willing to lay it down. They are selfless in their motivation. A radical wants to see change at the root, the fundamental change. They want to see that they don't care necessarily about the whole outside and the external. They want to make sure that whatever is changing is going to be at the core and the foundation because they know that that's not just change, that's transformation. They're seeking transformation in what it is that they believe in. They're motivated by something that transcends themselves. They're motivated by the sense that they know that there's something greater than themselves, that they are not as great as, but there's something greater than themselves, and they, they recognize that, and they are drawn to that. And they're also drawn to others. They're drawn to being in a group of other people that are radical about what it is that they believe in. They sense and seek that community because they know that in that community they gain strength. They gain strength. Being radical is completely different than fanatical. And some of us, I believe, have shied away and kind of embraced kind of a spirit of conservatism because we don't want to be perceived in the way that we've seen others perceived. I say, well, Pastor Jeff, I mean, I'm just not an, you know, a demonstrative, demonstrative person. I'm not someone that's just kind of you know, out there with a big personality. I'm more of an introvert. I'm more quiet. I'm not talking about personality. I'm not talking about personality. God made you uniquely in the way that he did. So celebrate that. 
But being radical, you can be who you are and still be radical because being radical means that we do not live in the way that the world lives. We do not acknowledge, we do not recognize the way that the world lives. We live in this world and we need to be part of this world. We need to be living within it, but yet we know that we answer to a higher power and that we're also called to be counterculture. We're called to influence this world. We're called to influence and to bring change to this community. That's what we're called to do, and that is a radical concept in itself. So there are three ways in which I want to talk about this morning about how we can become radical. And first of all, we have to have a radical abandon. Our American dream is not dominated by three few things. Self-advancement, self-esteem, self-sufficiency, individualism, materialism, and universalism. We're all called to pursue the American dream, right? That's what we've been told. But that is not how we're being called to live as believers. We're not called to pursue ourselves. We're not called to pursue the American dream. We're called to pursue the eternal dream. We're called to pursue what Christ has in eternity. That is our drive. That is our motivation. That in itself is a radical concept. We have neighbors and friends that are pursuing the jobs, pursuing the position, pursuing all of these things in order to have the house, in order to have the car, in order to have the lifestyle, in order to have everything that we believe that we're entitled to because, by gosh, we work for it. But God has called us to something completely different. In itself, that is something that's bizarre. I remember when I was working at Vanderbilt Hospital a number of years ago, I sat down with my boss, and we're talking about finances and everything. And I was, I was trying to get some things in order and, and all that. And I mentioned something about, well, I, yeah, I can't necessarily uh, put that much into savings or whatever because I have, uh, I have a tithe. And she said, what? I said, yeah, well, I have a tithe that I give each and every, um, you know, uh, every paycheck and such. And, you know, she... It's like, and she knew my salary and such or whatever. And she said, how much is that? I said, well, it's 10%. She's going, you give that much each year? I said, yeah, well, that's the minimum. That's what we're supposed to give. And she's like, you need to quit doing that. You need to take that money and you need to be putting it in savings. You need to be doing this or whatever. And I said, no, no, I can't do that. It's not my money. It's God's money. I'm just here to steward it. Something she could not even grasp. She thought I was crazy. She's like, I can't, I don't understand why you're doing that. That just doesn't make any sense. You're just getting yourself into a bunch of trouble. But yet when we're called to live in a way that is different than what the world sees or how it acts, then it's going to be a radical concept based upon those principles. We have to abandon, assistance of a radical abandon involves abandoning these three things. We have to abandon position. We have to abandon perception. And we have to abandon power. Perception's a big thing. In our society. I'm not talking about reputation and how you should be seen or such. Yeah, we all need to be concerned about our integrity and our reputation. I understand that. Because that gives us the ability to have a witness. But I'm talking about the perception in which how we need to be perceived. I mean, if only our lives were as perfect as they are on Facebook. I mean, has anybody actually put their reality on Facebook seriously? Unless you're just kind of emotionally living out, you know, for pity or whatever it may be for attention or something like that. But, I mean, even down to the selfie or your profile pictures. Does anybody actually put an ugly profile picture up on purpose? No, everybody's kind of doing the... 
And let me tell you, if you're over 40, stop it. (laughs) Gravity has taken its toll. You can suck it in, but you can't pull it up. We're going to put our best foot forward. I've got some friends that moved to Denver, Colorado, and they put up their pictures of, oh, we're hiking this weekend. Oh, we went up to this village this weekend. Whoa, gosh, look at our brand new home that they're building. They put the foundation down. Oh, look at this. We're having coffee, this wonderful coffee shop. Blah, 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 blah. I'm about to unfriend them. (laughs) I don't want to see their perfect little life. I want to know that they're miserable. (laughs) But we want to be perceived in a particular way. We want people to, you know, we want people to think that everything is perfect. That's because we have this sense of power. We have this sense of my life is better than yours. I said I'm, I'm actually better off. Uh, things are going much more my way than they are for you. We're raised in a culture of narcissism. You know what narcissism? You know where that comes from? There was narcissism comes from Greek mythology about a guy named Narcissus, and he was a very handsome man, and he was knelt down to look into a pool, fell in love with his own reflection, fell into the pool and drowned and died. Now, I have a lot of questions here, like how deep was this pool? (laughs) Could he not just get up and walk out? I mean, was he that stupid? But talks about the fact that he just fell in love with himself So much that actually led to his own destruction, led to his own death. And we see so much of that within our church today. It started a number of years ago, back in the 60s and 70s, this human potential movement that started. In the sense to where a lot of psychology and a lot of psychological theories and everything became very popular. And before I go any further, I am not saying anything wrong counseling. I'm not saying anything wrong about psychology. I believe that we should be students of human behavior. I think that there is value in that. But I also believe that... It should be coupled with the power of God and the Word of God for true transformation to happen in people's lives. And that's something that we definitely promote here. But the thing is that that became so self-focused, it became so self-absorbed, and you saw such a, a, a proliferation of it happening within the church. If you go to Amazon right now and you look under Christianity and look at the subcategory of self-help, you'll see over 16,000 titles available in that category of self-help. We've become so obsessed and absorbed with ourself. But in Matthew 22, 36, God says this, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, which was the, what was the third commandment? There wasn't one. One and two. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And you love your neighbor as yourself. Where is self-love in this? It's not. In fact, it's mentioned in the verse, love your neighbor as yourself, because God already knows that we're going to love ourselves anyway. If you think about loving your neighbor as yourself, think about how much time and attention that you give to yourself. In the area of feeding yourself, bathing yourself, grooming yourself. Some of you give more attention than others. Some of you need to give more attention. (laughs) Of, you know, providing for yourself or whatever that may be. 
And the amount of time each and every day that you spend taking care of yourself, and God is saying, love your neighbor just as much. I'm not saying that you go and you bathe your neighbor and you feed all that type of <laughs> That gets weird. But I'm saying that the same amount of attention and the same amount of focus, that's what you want, that's what we should be giving to our neighbor. We don't necessarily need to worry about loving ourselves. Now, I do understand that there are those that do have a self-hatred, that because of various <clears throat> things that have happened in their life, various issues, uh, challenges and such, that there is this hatred within them that causes them to hurt themselves and, and sometimes cut themselves. There's a self-hatred. I'm not talking about that. Absolutely. We should love anything. Uh, we should love everyone because they are made in the image of God. And that includes yourself. But more often than not, we don't need to worry about focusing on ourselves too much because we already do that. It's so much in our culture that all you have to do is turn on Oprah and she'll tell you the latest and greatest thing as far as how you know uh, you need to love yourself or some other talk show host or some other uh, kind of magazine show or whatever it is about how to take care of yourself, pamper yourself. You deserve it. That's what the world is saying. But Christ is saying something completely different. He is saying, the, in fact, what he is saying is that you are called to deny yourself. It's very interesting. You know, we're called to perceive, we're called to abandon this perception, this power, all of this, because we're just so committed to protecting that image within ourselves. But I've kept this for a number of years, and I just think it's very insightful. But it's actually from an article way back from 1991 in Vanity Fair where a journalist interviewed Madonna. And she said this. She said, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me. Because even though I become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. That somebody with that kind of global prominence is living under the burden of trying to keep that perception going day after day after day after day. Because they know that one day if it falls, then you're obliterated. God has not called us to live that way. In fact, he's called us to sacrifice and to deny ourselves, To deny what the world is saying and what we should be contending for power. This sense of dominance and control that you should have in order to position yourself above each other. Because let's face it, <clears throat> what it comes down to is that we're constantly in this struggle to be above somebody else in some way because we're operating out of a place of inadequacy about ourselves. And the hardest thing that we can do is to acknowledge the greatness or the potential or the gifting of somebody else because we feel that it diminishes us. You know what that's called? Pride. Good old-fashioned pride. And we're called to deny that. We're called to get, get rid of that. To not contend for power because the power of God resides within you. And if you are continually grasping for power and trying to have that dominance and trying to exert your own power, then the power of God is not going to be able to come through in your life because you're too busy pursuing your own. God wants an empty vessel. God wants you to open your hands and to release everything so that he can truly give you authentic, supernatural, transformational power in your life. 
David Platt says this. He says, in a world that says protect yourself, promote yourself, preserve yourself, entertain yourself, comfort yourself, take care of yourself, Jesus says slay yourself. Now that word seems harsh. Slay yourself. But let me tell you, the word gives some very violent imagery about how we're to deal with the flesh. I didn't use the word deny for this reason. Because the word deny in the biblical Greek actually conveys something different than what we understand it today. Or the power of it. When we think of deny, it's like, oh, no thank you, I won't have that piece of chocolate cake. Oh no, I'm not going to buy that. We just refuse to engage in something or refuse to do something. Deny means something very different in the Bible. It says to die to self-will is to take up your cross, is to embrace God's will no matter what the cost, to deny utterly, to disown. Scripture talks about we are to crucify the flesh. That imagery is intentional because when, guess what? When you crucify something, it hurts. Whenever you decide to contend against the flesh and to deny it and to kill it, it's going to be painful. I do not like having to deny myself things. My wife will tell you that. Not right now here. I do not like the denial process because it's painful. It's uncomfortable. But yet that's what God has called us to do. Because at the end of the day, we're going to have to stand before him and give an account for that. Are we going to be obedient? Because if I continue to engage and to cater to myself, I will actually deny the power that God wants to release in my life, to deny what God wants to do in my sphere of influence. We are called to deny ourselves, to destroy the power of the flesh, to crucify it. So we have a radical abandon. Let's talk about radical worship. That's the second one. Radical worship. What do you worship? Because here's the deal. Every creature on the face of the earth was created to worship something. Everybody worships something. I don't care if you're an atheist in this room today. You worship something because that's the way you were created to, to do. Well, no, I don't. I don't worship anything. Really? Well, let's ask a few questions. What do you constantly focus on or think about? What is continually on your mind and what drives you from day to day? What are your most uncontrollable emotions? If somebody touches a a hot button, what is that hot button related to? Do you get angry when you are, you know, when you feel disrespected? Is respect your God? Does respect provide some level of security for you? Do you get angry when, oh, I don't know, you don't necessarily get what you want? Or when somebody else gets more power or position than you do? We have to check ourselves. Because an idol is this. An idol is anything outside of God. Or an, an idol is anything that you look to for functional salvation. Basically, that you're looking to it and saying, this will save me, this will give me value, this will protect me, this will give me security, this is what I put my hope and trust in. That's what an idol is. 
And you can make an idol out of anything. It's whatever you turn to outside of God to provide relief or security or safety or salvation. That's what an idol is. That's what the world does. And yet we struggle with this as a church. We are continuing to uh, deal with this. And we're called to live radically. We're called to be the calm in the midst of that stormy sea that says, yes, I know that all this is happening in the world around me, and yes, I am concerned, and yes, I am going to be engaged in it, but I also know that my security and my hope comes from something greater, and that is what I'm going to put my trust in, knowing that I'm going to take an eternal perspective and not this immediate reactionary perspective that the rest of the world does. That's what we are called to do. We as an American culture are very short-sighted because we only look at the here and now. The end justifies the means. That is strictly an American philosophy. It's called pragmatism. It's like, well, it happens now, but we're called to look with an eternal view of what happened and transcends into the future. <clears throat> that is who we're called to be. So we worship differently. We worship the true and living God. Not the idols that the rest of the world contends for and says it's important and that will give us security. Now, when we're on the issue of worship, I want to talk about what it means as far as worship here in the context of a Sunday morning service or any other service. It should look like something that when people come onto this campus, they're anticipating God moving and working. I think that we should be coming here each and every Sunday anticipating God doing something incredible in our service. That people are engaged, leaning forward on their feet, raising their hands and energetic. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, Pastor Job. I'm just a quiet and reserved person. I don't think that, you know, that kind of exuberance makes me uncomfortable and nervous. Now, some of us come from a background where maybe to talk about where you've seen a lot of extremism and where it's just a little bit over the top. And here's the way that I gauge that. We should all be going there corporately. If somebody's engaging in something where it draws mainly the attention to themselves, then I question whether or not that is actually authentic as far as uh, God moving in that or being authentic worship. So there are things that we do as a community to check that. But however, together, corporately, there should be an energy and a desire to lean forward and to push forward. And you're saying, but yeah, but that's just not who I am. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm talking about we are all uniquely made and we're all going to express in uh, the way that God's created us too, but it should be in some way. And if you're saying, well, I'm just not that expressive, well, let's talk football. Let's talk about when your team scores the winning touchdown at the Super Bowl, are we kind of saying, oh, look, Charles, I do believe that they scored. Oh, yes, I do believe you're right. Jolly good. No, you're not doing that. I've seen some of you guys at the games. I've seen some of you guys watching watching on TV. And you guys are not sitting there and going, oh, that's just, ooh, bravo, bravo. Yeah. You guys are like, whoo, yeah, to the right, to the right, to the left, to the left, to the right, to the left, to the right, to the left, hey, ho, hey. <laughs> now, if I can do that, and I know it's being recorded, <laughs> you guys can at least get from here to here. 
Eventually, you'll work your way up, baby steps. It'll get there. But what this is, is not about drawing attention to yourself. It's about holding open hands of surrender, acknowledging, God, you are greater than all, and I'm here to receive from you whatever it is that you have for me today. That's what expressiveness is. That's, see that energy, because sometimes we have to move in the physical. Sometimes we have to move in the physical to release what God wants to do supernaturally. God wants to do that here. He wants to do that in your life. So go home, go in the bathroom, shut the door, turn on some worship music, and, and work it. Work your way up. You'll get there. But that's what we want to contend for here at Grace Covenant. So radical worship and finally radical power, a power for ministry. I won't go through all of this because we don't have time this morning. But you need to look at 1 Corinthians 12 because it talks about some very specific gifts that God wants to use in the context of radical people, words of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, of faith, gifts of healings, miracles, prophecy, kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, all those things. We are a spirit-filled church. This is who we are, and we need to be engaging and leaning into the things of the spirit. Guess what? We don't need to have a healing service on a Sunday night. We should be having healings each and every week and each and every day. We should be contending for those things each and every day. Guess what? Some of you need to be leaning more into what God wants to do through you. Because God would probably want to use some of you having a word of wisdom for one of your friends or having a gift of prophecy to give somebody some point of encouragement that they would need throughout the course of the day they've been contending for. Somebody may need you to go up to them and pray for them and get, receive healing at whatever point in time. You guys, we need to get outside the mentality that ministry happens up here in front of the altar. Ministry happens wherever you go. Guess what? This is just a room. People are thinking, that, well, this is the sanctuary. No, this is the sanctuary. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And wherever you go, guess what? If this place were to burn down tomorrow, we could go out and meet under a tree and the manifest presence of God could occur just as well as it could here in this morning. Let's get some of the religiousness outside. Let's leave it. Let it die. And acknowledge that wherever we go, the power of God should be able to reside within you and manifest itself however he sees fit and whenever he chooses. Each and every day we should be getting up with an expectation. I'm saying we because you know what? Quite frankly, I haven't been that good at it lately. But getting up each and every day and saying, God, how do you want to use me today? Help me to be sensitive to what you would point out today. Being radical will be able to hear the voice of God and say, uh-uh, no, I want you to buy that person's groceries in front of it in line for you right now. I'm not going to tell you why, but there's a story behind there. And I'll, once you do it, guess what? <clears throat> I'm, going to, I'm going to show it to you. With an expectation that happens that God could do something in our life each and every day. And this power, it comes not, this power comes through four things. It comes through the word. It comes through prayer. It comes from engaging our faith. And it comes from abiding in him. That being radical is simply this, that we refuse to live the way that the world has called us to live. 
We refuse to have the mentality that the world has called us to have. But yet we are, we're embracing what God has told us and what the Word says because we know that's where transformation happens. That in our workplace, people would know that they can come to you to talk about specific issues or go with problems in their lives because they know that you would have a solution, that you would be able to provide godly counsel, or that in some way you would have some insight in order to help improve their lives. We should be that force that wherever we go, that there is a sense of security and stability that represents the all-knowing God. That is who we are. That's what it means to be radical. And that's what God has called us to do, to be radical. God wants you to live a radical life. He wants us all to live a radical life. I don't want to stand before Christ and go, oh, it was so-so. It was okay. I've seen too many stories. I've had too many encounters myself to where I've been, been obedient and moved as I felt the Holy Spirit was telling me to move and God would just reveal what that person needed in that moment and just to see the transformation. It could be a turning point in that person's life. I've heard of too many people whose lives turned on a hairpin because of a divine moment that they had because someone was choosing to be obedient. That's what we should be engaging in here. So do the study. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. Some of you are like, well, I'm not sure I agree with all that. Do a study. Get in the Word. Feed yourself in that sense. And if you need further understanding or such, then let us talk. Give me a call. Give Pastor Michelle a call. Give some of the pastors here a call. But let's, whatever is necessary, let's engage each other and let's engage in what it means to be a transformational church in this community. Amen? So I want to pray this morning that we would allow this to just set in our heart and for it to be a seed. And that we would really begin going into this next year, into this next season, begin to see a transformation that will happen on this campus. That when you drive on that parking lot, that you feel the energy and you feel the anticipation of what God's wanting to do here this morning. Because I believe that that is what God wants to do. He wants us to have a radical encounter with him to where there would be a radical transformation in our community. So, Father, we thank you. We give you praise and glory. And, Father, we ask, uh, God, that the word that has been spoken here this morning, that what is of you would set in our hearts, Lord, as a seed, knowing that, God, we, we process and that we grow as we think and we ponder and we chew on it, and, Lord, that it would just begin to take root, and, God, that it would truly transform that it would change us fundamentally at the core to where we would desire and hunger for things greater, desire and hunger for things of the Spirit, desire and hunger for those things, God, that we know that you want to accomplish in us and through us. So, Father, I pray, God, that, through, and that we would be an influence within our schools, within our workplaces, within our homes, God, that we would be known as radical in the sense of the Lord that we embrace something higher and greater than ourselves and of this world. And that it would be a tangible presence that people would hunger for and that would draw all people. Not to us, Lord, but to you. 
Change, Lord, our hearts. Change, God, this church. Change us, Father, so that we may be a force of change in you, in the Lake Norman area and greater, God. God, we acknowledge your Lordship, and we acknowledge that you are Jesus Christ, the one and the only thing, Lord, we choose to worship. In Jesus' holy name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.